welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 32, recorded on July 23rd. The Cloud Pod placed outside the Magic Quadrant. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Good. Going well. Good, good. Uh, nice to get through that last show. It was a little bit long, but uh, this one's a little bit more uh, manageable for tonight, so hopefully we can get through this this week's bunch of news very quickly. Amazon uh, has introduced a new Coretto crypto provider for improved crypto performance. Uh, of course, this is the ACCP, or the Amazon Credo Crypto Provider. And this is a cryptography solution based on Java that uh, is less CPU intensive, uh, resulting in much faster uh, processing of encryption, as well as reduced costs for you. Uh, this is an open source capability and is available to you on Maven and GitHub, so you can also make it available to your non credo based Java uh, implementations of Java 8 and Java 11. So super nice to see some crypto improvements. Yeah, I think that their example in that article was uh, pretty cool how they're using it on Snowball and they've cut their, they've basically doubled the throughput of the device, uh, which means encryption is half the effort, which is pretty cool. Colm's been um, posting uh, some stuff about this recently on Twitter. And in fact, he has a um, coding competition going right now, which we can paste a link to in the uh, in the show notes. What's the uh, coding competition? So it's taking it's taking a random number generator algorithm, which is very complicated and uh, difficult to understand, and turning it into some readable, easy to follow code for non mathematicians and um, potentially you know people who aren't experts at uh, cryptography. Well, that sounds uh, absolutely riveting. <laughs> I would get right on that. Um, my mathematics, you know, degree is is a little bit unused these days, and so you know, I, I get right into that encryption math. Yes, that's a zeroth degree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's awesome, though. If you're really into encryption, though, it's, it's a fun, ta- a fun activity to be part of and something that might get you noticed by AWS. So, pretty cool. Microsoft Azure, uh, as you guys may know, has uh, gotten a little bit of a bad rap uh, for being the one cloud provider with some of the worst uptime. Uh, so, they you know, have been writing some blog posts, and their CTO recently wrote a blog post on advancing the Microsoft Azure reliability. Uh, you know, Over the last 12 months, they point out that Azure has operated core compute services at a 99.995% uptime across their global compute infrastructure, which is where you, you know, immediately realize that they're just giving you a metric because they said global versus just individual region. <laughs> uh, you know, and of course they say as reliance on cloud services continue to grow for industries, organizations, and people around the world, now it's more important than ever to trust the cloud will be available to you, reliable, uh, secure, etc. Uh, so the CTO continues to go on to talk about some of the things that they're doing to improve reliability, uh, and he breaks them down into you know safe deployment practices through a safe deployment practice framework they built to ensure that all code and configuration changes to the Azure cloud uh, go through a, cy- a specific cycle. So I guess this is an SDLC. Apparently, they didn't have that at Microsoft before. <laughs> they uh, <laughs> they announced a new uh, storage account level failover capability after their September 2018 DC outage. Uh, a lot, you know, making it available so that you can actually decide when you want to fail over to their less, you know, and potentially lose data versus living that in Azure's hands. Of course, they're expanding availability zones uh, to provide more local redundancy. Uh, Project Tardigrade, which we talked about before, which was to be preemptively moving workloads before a host dies. Uh, and then, of course, low to zero impact maintenance during including hot patching, live migration, and in-place inject- migrations. And then, of course, uh, fault injection and stress testing, which is really just chaos engineering, uh, but in much more words. So overall, I, you know, again, I really like these type of blog posts from Azure and Google. 
uh, where they kind of really talk about something very specific that they're working on or a challenge. And, you know, we can get this from Amazon as well, but more in Twitter threads or uh, through keynote conversations. They don't really do blog posts like this all the time. And so uh, definitely nice to see this from Azure. And if you're using that platform, uh, availability should get better. Yeah, I like the live migration feature. I, I think that's sadly missing from uh, AWS. And I guess you use it in cases where your, your workloads are not um, stateless as you would like. But um, I'm kind of wondering now, last time Google posted anything about their reliability, they, they suffered those terrible outages. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's, let's uh, start the clock and see how long Azure go before they have another outage. Well, I mean, if it's uh, if it's Office 65, apparently they're quite often. So that's my understanding. But uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do a lot with that, so I don't run into it. Uh, Azure has also announced uh, new proximity placement groups. Uh, these are the ability to basically provision infrastructure uh, near other virtual machines. So if you have a set of web tier or an app tier that you need to have kind of on the same virtual machine or very close to each other, uh, you can now use proximity groups to place them in basically the same infrastructure. Uh, and this will lower your latency and provide more deterministic latency between uh, nodes. Uh, there's a quote here from uh, Ventislav Ivanov from Development Architecture SAP. It is really great to see this feature now publicly available. We are going to make use of it as our standard deployments. My team is automating large-scale deployments of SAP landscapes. To ensure best performance of the system, it is essential to ensure a low latency between the different components of the system. Especially critical is the communication between application server and the database, as well as the latency between HANA VMs when synchronous replication has to be enabled. Wow, so really, uh, you know, definitely just some use cases and customers that need stuff. So, very nice. I hate to see people shaving off milliseconds from network latency and thinking that that's going to solve all their application crappiness. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. The problem with doing this with placement groups, even on AWS, is um, you there has to be hardware available next to your existing hardware or you have to spin up everything from scratch. Yeah, yeah there's definitely some challenges with it. But I think there are use cases, especially HPC type workloads, where this is super important. Uh, if you're using a real-time caching layer between nodes, you know, having low latency to that can be beneficial as well. I mean, you should be definitely be planning for um, latency spikes in the cloud. You know, assume that's going to fail. Uh, but, you know, it's nice to have some options and some things you can kind of work around from an overall um, you know, perspective in designing your app to hopefully be more fault tolerant and more resilient. Uh, IBM has inked a multi-billion dollar cloud computing deal with AT&T. Uh, IBM has landed a multi-year cloud deal, uh, which is worth tens of billions of dollars over the lifetime. Uh, this is a migration to include an extensive software modernization effort. The carrier will leverage IBM's expertise to refactor legacy workloads that can't easily be migrated to the cloud. Uh, this is the first deal signed after the $34 billion acquisition of Red Hat. And uh, Dave Valenti, chief analyst at Silicon Angle's uh, sister research firm Wikibon, said, Clearly Red Hat gives IBM a better position to run hybrid and multi-cloud networks. Uh, hybrid multi-cloud is complex. IBM loves complexity, and its service organization is number one in the industry. So, uh, interesting. Uh, followed up by the following article, uh, which is Microsoft and AT&T signed a $2 billion cloud infrastructure and services deal, uh, which is hilarious because this announcement came out the day after the one I just mentioned to you all. Uh, and this is apparently, the first one is all around IBM's current business solutions, uh, in the, or sorry, their carry operations, and the IBM deal with Microsoft covers their AT&T business solutions group, uh, which includes servicing corporate clients. Uh, so overall, AT&T is getting big in the cloud uh, with multiple providers, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I blew it. I should have had our sales guy call them. They're handing it out a billion at a time. Yeah, you guys should get in there still. Maybe they need some help. So uh, apparently this is also including a uh, migration of 250,000 users to Office 365. 
which is uh, Chief Executive Satya Nadella said, uh, together we will apply the power of Azure and Microsoft Office 365 to transform the way AT&T's workforce collaborates and to shape the future of media and communications for people everywhere. Which is uh, saying a lot for AT&T. That's, uh, I don't know if that's what they're doing, but it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, um, the Microsoft one, they basically, I think they say that Azure is going to be the platform of choice for infrastructure as a service, which makes me think that IBM's contract is heavily uh, traditional services like ProServe uh, weighted. Maybe. Well, they just mentioned the Red Hat thing just to keep reminding us that Red Hat was just bought by IBM uh, recently or... I mean, surely IBM could have used Red Hat all along anyway if they'd wanted to, but they didn't, you know. They've... Well, I think they were talking about, you know, in the article they talked very heavily about, you know, AT&T's desire to replatform onto things like OpenShift uh, and open source software, which Red Hat kind of gives them, combined with IBM's professional services arm, which is, you know, one of the stronger um, professional services organizations out there from a, you know, complex project perspective. I think it makes sense that, you know, not only can now IBM do that, but they can also give you a good deal on your OpenShift licenses to move your containers. I think it, it makes sense that there's some synergy there. I mean, it, other than that, it's just, yeah. Hey, remember they bought IBM and yeah. Red Hat bought them? And so there you go. But uh, yeah, I, they, I see some of the connection, but it was a little bit of a stretch in the article. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a lot of a lot of uh, Office 365 use. I'm sure that's going to have an effect on the Q3 uh, revenue. For, for oh, I'm, I'm sure the Q3 revenue will be, uh, be moving on up for Azure, <laughs> as it does every quarter. But, uh, you know, hopefully that'll help them in some of the other things. Well, uh, Amazon uh, was in the news with the government and not for Jedi this time around. Uh, apparently, the tech giant is facing antitrust scrutiny on two different continents. Uh, both the EU and the U.S. House Judiciary Committee have started antitrust hearings and investigations into not only Amazon, but also Apple, Facebook, and Google. Uh, you know, the reason why now in this point in time is, you know, Amazon has become emblematic of the incoming quality in the U.S. with its stratified workforce. Uh, immense appetite for growth and the richest person in the world, of course, at the helm. Uh, and then corporate consolidation across industries has made these t- uh, companies much bigger targets uh, and the easiest example of flashy headlines that can capture the media attention. Uh, Amazon particular is under fire uh, in the EU and in the U.S. for their Amazon marketplace practices. And this has been a complaint for a long time where apparently you know Amazon uses their large machine learning system to basically determine third-party sellers' products that are selling well and then c- creates uh, competitive products under the Amazon Basics brand uh, to sell on the store. Uh, Amazon argues that in total retail, they represent 1% of the global retail and less than 4% in the U.S. But if you look at only online, Amazon is 37.7% of the U.S. online sales. Wow. Uh, and Amazon's strategy so far has been to emphasize the competitors it faces in each sector where it operates. And so they call out Walmart.com and uh, Costco, etc. as big competitors of theirs. So we'll see over the next um, years, because <laughs> these things take a long time to work through the process, uh, you know, what kind of fire gets put under Amazon and if that forces a breakup or any other type of uh, concessions on Amazon.com and, of course, the other players as well. Uh, you know, as you guys probably remember, Microsoft, of course, went through this back in the 90s uh, and really stifled their innovation for a long time. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, unbundling IE from from the rest of Windows was uh, was fairly disastrous for them. And I, I still had a difficult time understanding how that was the big problem with Microsoft. You clearly, your your parents are not as uh, tech unsavvy as some of our others, who <laughs> <laughs> you know just use the basic thing that's on the computer and don't think about you know Firefox or or any of the other solutions that existed back at that time, Mozilla. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely you know if you look at Microsoft's history and you know having formerly lived in Seattle. 
uh, in their backyard. You can kind of see some of the very hostile things they did uh, in many different areas, not just IE domination, but, you know, employment domination across the, the market. And, you know, overall, I think they needed that, uh, that shot across the bow to kind of pull them back in line. And, but, it, you know, they also lost a ton of market share. They, they're not the biggest in search because they were, you know, focusing on this versus competing with Google at the time. And then they tried to do it with Bing. It didn't work out so well. So right. it's a, it could be a big distraction. I don't know if it's a big distraction for AWS. I think it might be a big distraction for Amazon and Facebook. Uh, and we'll see what happens uh, long term. but definitely something we'll stay on touch of or on top of here at the uh, cloud pod. Well, hopefully it does not stifle innovation of AWS because that's so much fun to watch. I mean, I wouldn't mind if it forced a breakup of a company where, you know, Marketplace and AWS and, and the store had to kind of be separate entities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that would be a terrible thing. It would definitely remove the one big complaint uh, companies like Walmart have about using Amazon.com. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, Visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. As you guys may know, uh, Amazon has been in the news a lot about their facial recognition technology, in particular around um, police departments using that technology to surveil the population at large. Uh, but apparently after 15 months of wrangling, the uh, Orlando Police Department uh, has abandoned their project because they could not begin testing AI cloud tech uh, using Amazon's recognition API. Uh, there were several issues, including uh, poor camera placement, video feed disconnects, and an incompatibility with the format from their cameras and what recognition can take on board. Uh, this follows, of course, complaints from the ACLU that the recognition technology struggles uh, more when asked to identify women and uh, people of color. And Orlando's chief administrator office told the city council in a memo, at this time, the city was not able to dedicate the resources to the pilot to enable us to make any noticeable progress towards completing the needed configuration and testing. The city has no immediate plans regarding future pilots to explore this type of facial recognition technology. So, that's very interesting. (laughs) Some other providers are going to swoop in now and sell them some even more expensive technology that does exactly the same thing. Um, that uses recognition in the back end. They just don't know likely, it. <laughs> most likely. I mean, I remember when recognition was um, was first announced. Um, we got into the um, we got into the preview program. Within like thirty minutes, we were using recognition to recognize all kind of objects in the office. It, the um, the level of entry was was not high. So the fact that they were hindered by these relatively pointless things is uh, I'm not even sure if I'm going to call bullshit or whether they're just kind of stupid. I don't know that your municipal government is going to have the most uh, high technology developers and or IT people to help these kind of projects. And so anytime you're dealing with this, if it's more complicated than things are used to, it's not Microsoft technology that they can point and click, they're going to run into some troubles. And I think that's, this is a perfect example of it. I'm, I'm a little surprised because, you know, it did talk about Amazon was involved trying really hard to get this working for them. They had professional services there uh, working on it. Uh, but, you know, they mentioned that Amazon offered to provide cameras that would actually work with recognition and Orlando chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it definitely feels like this is a more of a case of municipal government maybe uh, using this as an excuse not to continue on this project based on pressure from the ALCLU and their citizens uh, kind who of, were concerned about it. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. I could also imagine uh, a company who does, you know, take 
this type of technology and build a good vertical solution specifically for police, fully packaged, uh, will probably sell pretty, pretty well. Let's get on that. <laughs> nope. I have enough jobs. <laughs> I have enough jobs, man. <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I don't think I want to get involved in that. That sounds like uh, a, a politically ripe area that I want to avoid. So. But, you know, despite Orlando PD's uh, inability to use recognition, uh, Amazon has been named the leader in Gartner's Infrastructure as a Service Magic Quadrant for the ninth consecutive year. Uh, Amazon continues to dominate the Magic Quadrant, uh, but Microsoft, while not as high on the ability to execute uh, Quadrant, has closed in a big way. So if you look at them, you know, compare them year over year, uh, Azure has continued to kind of move up and closer to uh, my, uh, AWS every year. Uh, there are other players on the on the boxes, of course. Uh, Alibaba, Oracle, IBM, Google uh, are all in the Magic Quadrant. Google also joined uh, Azure this year in the Leaders Quadrant, but uh, barely, barely in the Leaders Quadrant. Uh, but there were some interesting uh, different pieces of news around this. But overall, the Magic Quadrant, of course, you know, is a big source of truth for the top Fortune 500. And what do you guys think? I'm just waiting for Oracle to sue them. Um, claiming that the whole the whole Magic Quadrant thing is uh, is unfair and biased against them. <laughs> It is. <laughs> They're doing things like rating your features, your functionality, ability to deliver. That's not fair. <laughs> there is a, there is definitely some, uh, you know, and you can go get this Magic Quadrant following the link in our show notes. Uh, you can fill out the form uh, from Amazon and get access to the entire report, which includes all of their opinions about their competitors and, of course, uh, Amazon's strengths and weaknesses as well. But on the uh, Oracle one, uh, the one that I thought was a little bit uh, mean was uh, Oracle is unlikely to be ever be viewed by the market as a general purpose provider of integrated infrastructure as a service and platform as a service offerings. This is due to the dominance of the hyperscale providers, Oracle's late start with OCI, and the polarizing nature of Oracle in the minds of developers who often are the leading influencers for public cloud infrastructure as a service. Brutal. I was like, ouch, ouch. <laughs> Way to call Oracle out on their terrible, terrible business practices. Uh, they did also ding uh, Azure here in their cautions. You know, they, Microsoft Azure's reliability issues continue to be a challenge for the customers largely as a result of Azure's growing pains. Since September 2018, Azure has had multiple service-impacting incidents, including significant outages involved in Azure Active Directory. The nature of many of these outages is such that customers had no controls in order to mitigate the downtime. Uh, so that's a that's a pretty bad statement from Gardner as well, and something you don't want to have in your list. Which is probably why there's a blog post from their CTO talking about what they're doing right. to improve uh, their uptime and overall availability. Uh, then, of course, the Google caution that I enjoyed was the Google demonstrates an immaturity of process and procedures when dealing with enterprise accounts, which can make the company difficult to transact with at times. This can be attributed to its nascent focus on the enterprise market. The immaturity of process is more pronounced in areas such as contract negotiation, discounting, independent software vendor licensing, integration with enterprise systems, and support. Google is aggressively targeting these shortcomings. Any other uh, items you guys saw from the, uh, the, the quadrant you want to talk about? It always bothers me that there's no scale on those quadrants. I mean, like, how are they scoring the things? Like, if it's if as you're moving up very slightly year over year, like, what reason? What's the reason for that? I mean, I, I, I like some. I like metrics that actually have uh, units. Well, I mean, you can probably get those if you pay them a lot of money for the you know their analysis to get on the phone with you and tell you how close they are to each other. Mm. Uh, you know, which is how these things work. This is a marketing campaign by. You know, by Gartner to basically get you to pay for their expertise and what they do. It's a, which is very much a pay for play uh, yeah. type story. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, re- I do remember. I think it was four or five years ago, actually, in the Magic Quadrant, um, they talked about Amazon was so far ahead up to the right that uh, if they had put Amazon where it should be, it would be off the chart. <laughs> yeah. And that you know, no other cloud provider was even close. So you know, the fact that 
both Azure and Google have been able to move into the leadership quadrant, have been able to really catch up on AWS. It says a lot about the maturity of the cloud market in general. And just overall, you know, it's a growing market that's continuing to mature and Amazon isn't the top dog all the time anymore. Yeah. And it's just great, though. You need somebody pushing them because if nobody's pushing them, we, we wouldn't get to see all the continued advancement that we're seeing. There was a good dig here on pricing from uh, AWS or for Gartner for their cautions for AWS. Uh, AWS makes frequent proclamations about the number of price reductions it has made. Customers interpret these proclamations as being applicable to the company's services broadly, but this is not the case. For instance, the default and most frequently provisioned storage for AWS's compute service has not experienced a price reduction since 2014, despite falling prices in the market for the raw components. So, uh, I, I mean, they chose EBS. I would have chose network bandwidth, but, you know, hey, whatever. They can pick what they want to. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the cost of power certainly isn't going down. Right. No, it's definitely not going down. It only goes up, especially if you're in the Bay Area with the, all the wildfires and Puget Sound Ener- or PGE energy. So. Yeah, reading that one, I almost felt like someone's like, we got to put something. And then, <laughs> how? What else can we get to? Make, you know, what else do we poke at? Yeah. Uh, the other two they had for them were, uh, you know, Amazon prioritizes being first to market with respect to delivering new services and capabilities. As a result, is willing to launch future poor services or services without deep cross-platform integration, which is often yeah. first to the future to address. Which I mean, that's what MVP is. I can't really knock them that hard. You know, they're building a product that meets a wide spectrum of customer needs, and then they tweak it from there to meet the more stringent needs, like adding tagging. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, of course, they also ding them on the, uh, you know, the fact that there's ambitions of the Amazon CEO expanding into additional markets. The board of directors for companies that potentially threaten verticals have directed their IT organizations to avoid the use of AWS where possible, which could be fixed if they split AWS into its own business, <laughs> which is my comment from earlier. Yeah. The Magic Quadrant, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all solution to how you should choose your technology, but I always do find them interesting to compare uh, and kind of see what they think are cautions, because... If you ever talk to a Gardner analyst, you realize that they're very not technical. Uh, and so it's always quite interesting to uh, see what they have to say and how they they take all this technical information and jargon, things they don't understand, and how they boil it down into this magic quadrant. So definitely check it out. If you're doing stuff in the cloud, it's just an interesting read in general, and we can't you know cover everything that's here because it's uh, a lot of content. Uh, Google has introduced Spinnaker for Google Cloud Platform, uh, making CD easy. Oftentimes, developers end up spending more time writing end-to-end CI/CD pipelines than actually writing code. Uh, Spinnaker, which was originally developed by Netflix and open source, and apparently now uh, developed jointly by Google and Netflix, uh, is now available for GCP. This is with a couple of clicks, you can start creating pipelines for continuous delivery and continuous deployment uh, with Spinnaker and GCP, making it very, very easy for you. Uh, you can use Spinnaker, uh, or sorry, Stackdriver to monitor Spinnaker, like you can do other services. And Spinnaker now supports uh, GKE, Google Compute Engine, and Google App Engine, as well as connectivity to the cloud build and container registry vulnerability scanning solutions. Uh, the Chrome Ops developer experience team, uh, Ola Carlson, SRE on that team, says, Getting a new Spinnaker instance up and running with Spinnaker for GCP was really simple. The solution takes care of the details of managing Spinnaker and still gives us the flexibility we need. We're now using it to manage our production and test Spinnaker installations. Awesome. Yeah, Spinnaker plus GKE to me just sounds like the super easy path to almost PaaS, but custom. <laughs> to almost PaaS. Almost PaaS, yeah. Uh, how much do you guys do Spinnaker at Foghorn these days? You know, we don't use a ton of Spinnaker. A lot of our customers are leveraging all their internal existing tools like uh, Jenkins or CircleCI, Travis, other other CI/CD tools. Uh, we don't see a ton of Spinnaker. Would you would you recommend it over any of those tools? Um, I would have to get back to you on that. I'd have to ask engineers who who know what they're talking about. <laughs> 
My experience with, with Spinnaker so far is that if you're, you know, the company has people who really understand it and are really committed to it, you can do a lot of magic with it. But scaling it out beyond a, a few core engineers who really understand it and really can take advantage of it uh, becomes very difficult. And, uh, you know, if you get stuck on an old version of Spinnaker, it's very hard to modernize your pipeline and really move forward. But, you know, there are some core benefits of the Spinnaker for GCP, which do make it a little bit easier than normal Spinnaker. Uh, first, of course, it's a secure installation with one-click uh, HTTPS configuration with cloud identity aware proxy, uh, automatic backups, integrated auditing and monitoring, and, of course, simplified maintenance. So hopefully a lot of those challenges that companies uh, suffer with Spinnaker are solved with GCP uh, using this more managed service. But, you know, overall, I, I'm not a huge fan of Spinnaker. I've uh, replaced it in a couple places in the past and uh, will continue to recommend Terraform over it. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think a lot of the Netflix tools have been really cool in that they've they were the leading edge in figuring out what additional tools we need to manage our cloud infrastructure, uh, but they really were highly focused on their applications on their organization, and I think you see that in the products where they're not generalized products. Yeah, they're very biased and they're very opinionated, and they they do things in the Spinnaker way, you know, the Netflix way, yeah. um, which they should. One of the very early versions of Spinnaker, I remember, was very big on, you know, producing AMIs. And, you know, that's because Netflix does all AMI baking and then deploys AMIs as their auto-scaling groups, which is a, is one pattern. But, you know, if you wanted to do a partial bake and then you kind of do final configuration on launch or you wanted to do, you know, build on run, um, it really didn't support that in a way that made sense uh, to the Spinnaker model. And so there was some limitations on how you could use it. But it has come a long way, um, you know, especially after they open-sourced it and kind of got picked up by other people who were interested in maintaining it beyond Netflix, um, which is one of the other problems with a lot of the Netflix tools. They very often get uh, releases open source and then just abandoned yeah. and not updated. And, you know, you talk to someone at Netflix, they're like, oh, yeah, we moved off that tool three years ago. <laughs> uh, and we have something better internally, which we have an open source. Right. Azure is making it easier to bring your Linux-based web apps to uh, Azure App Services. Uh, application development has radically changed over the years from having to host physical hardware to moving to externally hosted systems and now onto fully managed platforms and eventually serverless technology. Uh, Azure App Service is a great managed platform to easily bring code, uh, source code or containers and deploy full web apps in minutes with the ease of configuration settings at the hands of the app owner. And you can use these things for like WordPress hosting or different types of uh, open source tools. Uh, Azure is putting a lot of effort into Linux hosted offering to make it easier to try it out with a recent free tier for Linux web apps, which we talked about on the show previously. Uh, you can test solutions with no commitments, of course. Uh, now they've released new promotional pricing uh, for basic app services on Linux, which depending on the data center will lead to up to a 66% price drop once you get past that free tier. So overall, pretty nice. Nice. What if they're going to support um, you know, mono applications or .NET applications? Or are they still, will they still want you to use Windows for those? I, I think they... Well, I mean, SQL Server on Linux is a thing now, so maybe they can let you do that. But um, I think they, they want you to do whatever you want to do because all they care about is building a market share. <laughs> they like money. <laughs> amazing, amazing when you're, you know, the most valuable company in the world, according to uh, the stock market this last week when they crossed a trillion dollar evaluation again. Again. It's oh, <laughs> awesome. Hey, that's good, there though. Are. Do what your customers good for them. want. Yeah. Do what your well, I think I think they also are benefiting from the fact that no one's looking to investigate Microsoft in this yeah. uh, antitrust. <laughs> really? <thing>. So, <laughs> so uh, they uh, they are benefiting from everyone moving their money from Facebook and everyone else to Microsoft. Like that's the safe one. Move it there. Yeah, really. So. You find that they had a better open AI offering of some kind. Oh, you know they invest. They're Microsoft's going to invest one billion uh, for open AI aimed at improving the Azure cloud platform because you segued us right there. Uh, 
OpenAI is, of course, a young venture that aims to democratize the benefits of artificial intelligence and software-driven automation. Uh, Microsoft will be working with OpenAI in the coming years to enhance Microsoft's existing cloud computing and AI platform. Uh, and Microsoft's decision to invest in OpenAI and partner with a startup founded in 2015 comes as other tech giants navigating the AI and cloud landscapes make investments and deals of their own. Uh, so overall, this feels very much like a our AI stuff is not as good as Google's or AWS's, and we need to catch up, and this is a billion dollars that we can invest to get competitive advantage. Awesome. Uh, Microsoft's CTO, CEO says, uh, by bringing together OpenAI's breakthrough technology with new Azure AI supercomputing technologies, our ambition is to democratize AI while always keeping AI safety front and center so everyone can benefit. So uh, it's interesting to me that they didn't just buy them. Um, it's the fact that it's an investment makes me think that they're a little bit worried about some of the political um, sides of AI and machine learning. And so they kind of get a little bit of distance from themselves. Like, oh, yeah, well, we're using a partner to do provide that on top of Azure. But, you know, you, we're not running it ourselves. We don't own it yet or... So maybe that's a bit of a competitive thing to kind of avoid some of the pressure that other cloud providers are getting about, you know, government uh, privacy and all that kind yeah, of stuff. For sure. Or if this is just like, we're not sure this is really what our customers want yet, so we're going to put an investment into it and we'll just buy you later. A little chump change? Yeah, I mean, a billion dollars. I mean, it's, it's in your pockets, right, Peter? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Keeping the AI safety front and center, that's, that's it's an interesting thing to say. <laughs> it is. It, and that's the reason why I was wondering if this is very much a... We want this, but we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to have that be associated with it if it goes rogue and kills everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. All right. Well, that's it for the new news. Peter, do you want to take us to the lightning round? Let's do this. Azure is silo busting with new multi-protocol access for the Azure data lake. I mean, the use of silo busting, such a such an interesting choice. Like, you know, we're, we're supposed to be excited that you support TCP and HTTPS protocols to an Azure data lake. Ooh, <laughs> silos busted. Azure monitor for containers with Prometheus now in preview. Because, you know, who doesn't want another monitoring tool for containers in their life? And so, you know, Prometheus being apparently becoming the standard for Kubernetes, I guess this makes sense. But man, I'm tired of Stackdriver for containers plus Prometheus for containers and Stackdriver, then Azure Monitor for containers, and then Azure Monitor with Prometheus. Like, just just make me a solution that works, people, and let's just move on. I just need something to monitor the monitors now. I've got so many of them. Yes. <laughs> I think I saw a blog post like a couple weeks ago about monitoring Prometheus in production, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> Uh, Amazon ECR now supports increased repository and image limits. One million containers. (laughs) 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 Awesome. Yeah. I mean, they had to increase the image limits to fit those 100 terabyte Windows images. So it makes sense. There you go. (laughs) AWS Cost Explorer now supports usage-based forecasts. How do they do that? Like, how do they know my usage before I do it? So I'm, I'm glad they're forecasting, but uh, I'm a little curious how that's actually going to work in reality. I'm guessing they're getting away from that. I mean, they're, they're trying to give people something, the actual users, to know how many things they're spinning up without having to worry about amortizing RIs and all that crap. Maybe, maybe Corey Quinn can help us out. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> we need him back. AWS Systems Manager Automation now makes it easier for discovering documents. Maybe Amazon can use it to find some good help documentation. Oh, 
this is where that moment where you realize that your naming failed you because Jonathan just called out that, you know, looking for documents to solve your problem that systems manager is going to help you do. But when they're talking about documents here, they're talking about automation code that you've written up as snippets that you can basically pull into the system and do automation with. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you how naming matters because no one reading this headline would have any idea what this is without that little bit of detail. <laughs> oh, I thought we were going to find my Word documents. We're not? No, no. I mean, I don't. why would system manager automation need your Word documents? Who is going to find my Word documents? Elasticsearch for... <laughs> Uh, oh, sorry. Open distro for Elasticsearch there you go. from Amazon. <laughs> AWS Device Farm improves device startup time to enable instant access to devices. I mean, it won't matter because your mobile app will crash on launch anyway. Oops. AWS Systems Manager Distributor makes it easier to create distributable software packages. It does what it says on the label. Yeah, I mean, manager, you know, systems manager distributor makes distributions. Who would have thought? Well named. That's what I have to say. Well about named, that one. unlike discovering documents. Yep. That's true. Well named. Uh, Amazon ECS console now enables simplified AWS app mesh integration. I look forward to working with our dev teams to now explain what app mesh is. Yeah, and right. why they don't need it. <laughs> Amazon has released a new quick solution to create AI-driven social media dashboards. Uh, I guess I should probably set that up then for the cloud pod to see how people think about us on social media. <laughs> That's actually really cool, though. If you if you have to, if you ever built a, or bought a solution that does um, sentiment analysis, uh, this solution actually will replace all of that for you. And you should definitely look at this quick start because it's uh, pretty awesome. I will be playing with it myself. Yeah, just as long as it's not something that's going to totally depress me when I see the results. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean that's a different question. <laughs> Amazon reportedly will hold a music festival during reInvent this year. Oh, maybe the fifteen hundred dollar admission price would be worth it now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'll be an that'll be an upcharge, Jonathan. Oh, oh really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. you also have to get the ticket. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of funny to me because like the entire reInvent conference as a whole is is sort of a music festival if you think about it. Between the the live DJs, you know, before the keynotes, you know, Andy Jassy last year had live bands on stage, you know, at each of his sections if you remember, uh, and then of course the big party, which is always a huge act. Uh, it just it seems interesting to me that you know this is going to be something new that apparently is trying to attract more media executives to reInvent. It's very interesting. If Werner liked. 70s rock i'd be really excited about this <laughs> <laughs> sorry he does not like 70s rock i mean skrillex isn't your thing <laughs> not my thing man <laughs> all right last but not least at all google introduces the what if tool for cloud ai platform models so you can use your what if analysis if i didn't choose google <laughs> for my cloud and this is what would have happened if we recorded this podcast today oh my god jonathan was ahead this entire time and i'm almost about to take it away from him just for that but i'm not i'm giving it to jonathan it's the what if yeah you were on it Uh, yes i got you (laughs) you were on it jonathan (laughs) well that's a that's a fantastic week of course uh of course here in the news so let's uh sign off and uh we'll catch you guys next week awesome good night good night and that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.